They came out in the late 70s, early 80s, and they still are flashing 12s because nobody figured out how to do that. I remember the one we got, and, and it's actually this one here. No, we had one before this that had the on-screen programming. That was like, you know, modern technology because then you could just, eventually you could figure out how to set the clock. Uh, we, we did the math and I think we have over 150 video cassette tapes. And we don't want to get rid of them because there's all kinds of kids movies in there and stuff like that. But we don't watch them because we've all got DVD players. So we really need to figure out something new. Today we're going to be talking about VCR faith. VCR faith. And we're going to be looking at a scene from Jesus' life where his followers had a VCR moment. And even though we're going way old school, we're going to learn some lessons that apply to 2007. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's pray together and continue worshiping. God, we thank you for... Some of you have heard the verses that we're going to look at today your whole life, and you have accepted them as facts simply because you've heard them over and over again. Um, but what I'm going to ask you to do today is I'm going to ask you to think and listen from the perspective that this is the first time you've ever heard these verses. And imagine someone who does not have any background whatsoever with church or with Jesus Christ hearing these verses and think about the shock that they might feel hearing someone talk like this or hearing uh, descriptions of, of the events that happened like this. Because a lot of people doubt Christianity simply because there are some stories that are just too wild for them to comprehend. And... Um, we, we tend to go from the perspective of the very first verses of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God. And, and many of you come from that perspective where in the beginning, God, you just believe God existed. God did all these things. And so if God exists and he created the universe and, and he did all the things that are described in, in Genesis chapter one, you just think that, well, these other things, you know, he could do those. But there are a lot of folks out there that don't believe in God. And so what we're going to be looking at these next few weeks, starting today, going the next three weeks after today, we're going to be looking at things that people doubt. Um, and specifically, we're going to look at some stuff uh, um, as it relates to Christianity. And today we're just going to talk about doubt in general. Um, from the responses I got last week, everybody doubts something. And today we're going to look at John chapter 6. And if you, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. It's a long passage. And I'm going, to, I'm going to share just, there's actually three different miracles in John chapter 6. At least three that, that if you were hearing them for the first time, you'd be going, no way. I only have time to mention one today. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. Anybody not heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Pretty incredible story, right? Because Jesus takes... Five, and I was trying to think of the, the, the comparison, five Subway sandwich loaves of bread and two fish. We're not talking big bass. We're talking two fish that a little boy could carry in his lunch. And Jesus feeds 5,000 men. That's all we're told. And so we don't know how many total were there. 5,000 people. And if you were there that day, and, and you've seen this guy perform miracles. You've heard him speak. You've seen dead people come back to life. You've seen sick people healed. And now you're in the middle of nowhere and there is no subway around. There is no McDonald's around. Jesus feeds you from this little lunch pail. 
And their reaction was, let's make him our king. Because wouldn't it be cool to have a king that could just make food? No more working for me. Wouldn't it be cool to have a king that could heal your diseases? I don't have to hang out in the doctor's office for hours and hours for them to tell me there's nothing wrong. It's a virus. There's nothing we can do. Suck it up. Get over it. No, I just go to my king. That'd be way cool. So they try to make him king. But Jesus knew that they were going to try to make him king. And the Bible tells us that he withdraws from them. Because if you remember, at the end of Jesus' life, he's standing before Pilate. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Just right before he's crucified on the cross. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my father would send angels. We would fight, but my kingdom's not of this world. And so Jesus withdraws to a lonely place. Many times after a huge miracle, Jesus would go to a lonely place and pray. He sends the disciples on ahead in the boat. He says, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake. Later on, lots of stuff. I mean, read the whole chapter because it's just an incredible chapter of what, what was going on. After Jesus prays, he, he hooks up with the disciples. They go to the other side of the lake. And the next day, all of these people who had, had experienced the Hebrew happy meal, they're like, that was way cool. Let's go find Jesus. They're looking for him, can't find him. So then they figure out he's not there. They go to the other side of the lake. And they find Jesus just about to preach a sermon. And Jesus, man, you couldn't pull anything over on him. He says, he sees them coming. The crowds are coming. He says, I know why you're here. It's because you, your stomachs are growling. You experienced the Hebrew happy meal yesterday and you want another one. And he mentions the whole miracle thing and he talks about physical food. But then he switches over into spiritual food and the people didn't get it. I mean, Jesus was always, you know, going to spiritual stuff and people didn't get it. Look what they said in John chapter 6, verses 30 and 31. They replied, you must show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Hello. Hebrew happy meal. 24 hours before. You must show us a sign. They were already doubting. What will you do for us? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. As the scriptures say, Moses gave them bread to heaven, uh, bread from heaven to eat. Now, what these folks doing, they're saying they're going back to Big Mo. See, if you wanted to, to, to really have some authority in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish culture, mention Big Mo. Because Moses was like the best. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. A million men, again, we're only told about the men, so probably two to three million people wandering in the wilderness. We're going to feed people, that many people. I got a family of five. I don't know where I'm going to feed them sometimes when we go on vacation. Get out in West Texas and New Mexico and there's nothing. And I'm sure wishing Jesus would... Turn those stones into bread or something like that. So, wait, how are you going to feed these people? Well, God knew that they needed to be feed, fed. And so what he does is he causes these little um, wafer-like things to appear on the ground. And again, that's just like blow your mind. But we accept that, you know, in the beginning, God. So God causes this stuff to appear on the ground. You know what they called it? Manna. Manna means what is it? Because they got up one day and they looked on the ground. They go, what's that? Somebody goes, I don't know, but I'm hungry. And they start popping the manna. And so they mention Big Mo because they're like, okay, Jesus, Big Mo gave us all of this food in the wilderness. What are you going to do? Again, they just, 24 hours before, Hebrew happy meal. Okay, look what Jesus says. 
verse 32 and 33. Jesus said, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. Oh, dude, not politically correct. Don't jack with Big Mo if you're talking to a Hebrew audience. My father did. Moses didn't do that. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus like, point of order. Moses had no power. Oh, dude. Intro's a big deal when you're speaking publicly. This is not the intro that the disciples, you know, they didn't want him to do this. Because Jesus, you know, opinion polls were way high. 5,000 people, 5,000 men are gathering, Jesus. Opinion polls are high. It's never been higher. Woo, this is good. Don't go this way, Jesus. Because opinion polls are going to go down. I mean, if you, if you were one of the followers, if I were one of the followers, we'd probably be looking at it that way. Oh, time out. It gets worse. Um, because he had their attention, but they didn't like what he was about to say. Verse 35. If he had just stopped right here and said, true bread from heaven, that's what you need. Nobody would have had a problem. But look what he says. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Oh, no. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. Jesus goes, you want food that lasts forever? I'm it. I'm the cosmic carbohydrate. I am the bread of life. And... um, once again, he's talking, is he talking spiritual or physical here? Spiritual, spiritual but they didn't get it. Jesus says, um, for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do what I want. Okay, look at verse 41, 42. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread from heaven. This caused a problem. Poles were diving. They said, this is Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? When your stomach's growling, when your blood sugar's low, you don't really think straight sometimes, right? There are members of my family, and and I won't even say which ones because they might listen to this and hurt me. Um, But you don't want to jack with them when they hadn't been fed. If, If they're tired, hadn't had enough sleep, or if they hadn't had enough food, they will kill you. Um, so I, I guess that was the condition these people were in because they still didn't get it. They're like, heaven? He didn't come from heaven. He came from Mary and Joseph. We know where he's from. How dare he talk about he comes from heaven? Again, it gets worse because the next thing Jesus says shocks the audience. It caused them to doubt. John six fifty three. So Jesus said again, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Ooh. Verse 58, I am the true bread from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever and not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. Manna, he's saying, was a temporary physical food. He says, I'm offering spiritual forever food. And and the disciples, all right, you know, they're just sitting there going, I can see the blood draining from their face the more he gets into this little talk. Because I'm thinking... Yesterday, you're with 5,000 people in the middle of nowhere. What church wouldn't like that? We're going to have a meeting. 5,000 people show up. Woo, we're rocking. Today, Jesus is ixnay on the eshflay, Jesus. (laughs) Hebrew happy meal, good. Opinion polls, good. Drinking blood, bad. 
bad speech. I bet they wish they could have written the talk for that day. And uh, Jesus is saying, you know, manna's not a big deal. He's saying, if you want forever food, then you've got to come to me. And don't you know the disciples just looked around at each other? They saw the people going. And they're like you and me. They're going, one, two, three thousand, four thousand. They're all leaving. Oh, no. What are we going to do? And um, they had to think, what is God up to? And I wonder if you've ever had those thoughts. You ever wondered, what is God doing in your life? Have you ever wondered if God is doing anything in your life? Well... If, you, uh, if you've ever had those thoughts, then, then what we're going to talk about today is how you process those thoughts. Has God ever said something that you didn't understand? I mean, in the Bible, I'm not talking about, you know, audible voice. <laughs> calling, you know, and, and ours comes up on the, on the TV, who's calling, you know, God. That doesn't usually happen. If it does, I'm, I don't know that I'm answering. Because um, I'm not sure I want to talk to whoever that is. But God says something in the Bible and you don't understand it and you begin to doubt. Or something happens in your life and, and you just have this bout with doubt. The next several weeks we're going to talk about boxing theme. And we got some pretty fun stuff planned for you over the next couple of weeks. And so we want you to invite your friends because it's going to be fun. Um, but, but what happens is God does something and, and you don't understand it. And it's like a blow to the gut. And you have a bout with doubt. You start to, to box with doubt. And, and Satan knows this, so he comes at you and he whispers little things in your ear. God didn't really say that, did he? God didn't mean that, did he? God didn't do this. God's not even paying attention to you. And you struggle with doubt. Well, what I hope you'll do is have a VCR. And uh, the VCR means a very critical response. Now, I don't mean critical like you're criticizing. What I mean is you are thinking. You check your brain into gear, not into neutral. Uh, a lot of people believe that you open up your, your head, you take your brain out, and you set it at the door when you come into church. That is not Christianity. Christianity, we welcome all kinds of questions. Now, we're going to look at the VCR today, and this VCR has a lot of buttons. The first two buttons are buttons that you should not push when you are struggling with doubts. All right? Do not push these buttons because if you do, what's going to happen is you're going to put up this roadblock, this spiritual roadblock, and it's going to keep you from going anywhere. You will not move closer to Christ. First button that you should not push, this on your listening guide, is the pause button. Buttons to avoid, the pause button. Got my uh, little remote here. Got a picture of that? There it is. See the pause right there in the middle? We're just going to put a little piece of tape over that one because we don't need to use the pause button. Don't obsess over questions. John 6.60 Even his disciples said, This is a very hard, this is very hard to understand. Can anyone teach it? Hello. Can anyone accept it? I can't read. Can anyone, how can anyone accept it? Even the disciples, the one who hung out with him every day, they're like, oh, man, I'm struggling. I got some doubts here. When you hit the pause button, basically what you're doing is you are freeze framing your spiritual life and you camp out under the question and you refuse to move forward. Now, imagine I got a big old question mark here. When you hit the pause button. 
You become the dot under the question mark. He's like, I'm just going to stay here. I don't want to move forward. Um, God, you may have great plans for my life, but you're not answering this question, so I'm staying right here. Just because you don't have the answer to the question doesn't mean there's not an answer. But many people have gotten right under the, the question mark and just stopped. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And, and we're going to look at some reasons why in, in just a minute. Now, um, here's the, the point about this whole doubt series that, that you've got to understand. Doubt and faith always coexist. Doubt and faith always coexist. Because without doubt, you have certainty. With certainty, you have no doubt. In Hebrews 11.6, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not hard, not difficult, impossible to please God. And so, doubt is not a bad thing in, in a Christian's life, in any person's life. Because doubt can either drive you towards God or away from God, depending on what you do with doubt. But if you hit the pause button, you will never move towards Christ. Um, let me give you some examples of, of how, we, uh, how we use this faith thing in other parts of life. How many of you uh, understood everything about the VCR when you first got one? Did I stop you from using it? How many of you understand all, all there is to know about electricity? I'm, I'm going to camp out, literally. I'm going to camp out and not use electricity because I don't understand that stuff. All these waves going through. I'm not using that till I understand it. You use it every day. Cell phones. Explain to me how you can be under your company's tower. I mean, you see it. It's right there. You are under your company's tower and you can't get a signal. <laughs> Or you're standing there, hello, can you hear me? And, and, you know, it's obvious they can't hear you, so we'll talk louder. Hello! I was with a friend of mine the other day. We're, we're eating lunch at the ranch house. Somebody calls him. Homeboy is going, yeah, well, you working on that old bass lake? And I'm going, God, dude, shut up. Because everybody in the ranch house is checking us out. I'm going, hello, hello. He's an idiot. We all agree. He, he hangs up the phone. He goes, was that too loud? And I go, because, man, my wife's always smacking me because I'm too loud. And I'm like, dude, you were way too loud. But does, does, does the fact that you can't explain cell phones, does that keep you from using them? Men, explain to me the opposite sex. Does that keep you out of relationships? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> They will wear you down. I predict a day. They will wear you and Nathan down, and there will be a day. <laughs> I mean, I understand. I was the same way. I was 26. Janie had to wait seven years. And actually, I took her home. She was the first girl I ever took home to meet my parents. And my best friend's dad said, why her? Why, why did you choose her? And I was like, man, she's just endurance. She wore me out. <laughs> And really, I wanted somebody that I knew was not going to leave me. I thought, seven years, that's pretty good. If she can put up with that, I'll marry her. <laughs> we can't explain things, but we use them anyway. Life is filled with uncertainty, and we use faith all the time. Um, but sometimes I wonder about what we're putting our faith in. 
On eBay, they have, you know, when you go to a seller, there's a feedback rating. Y'all, y'all familiar with the feedback rating? What, what feedback would be too low for you to purchase an item from somebody? I heard, I heard that. That's mine too. 97, is that what you said? We've talked about that. Man, if somebody's below 97%, that means the people who have bought from them before, 97 out of 100 people believe that they did a good job. They got what they wanted. It was a good service, all that stuff. But if somebody's been selling on eBay for like a month and, you know, their feedback rating is 50%, you might want to send your money, you know, just, just throw it down, you know, the garbage disposal. That, that would be as effective as giving it to somebody with a 50% feedback rating. I want to choose somebody at least 97, and the higher, the longer they've been selling on eBay and the higher the feedback rating, the more I feel that I'm going to get the service that I want. I'm amazed what people will put their faith in, who people will put their faith in. We were talking about this the other night. There are all kinds of unbelievable things out there, and people will will jump for anything other than Jesus Christ, and He's the only one with 100% feedback rating. It's the object of your faith that matters. What are you putting your faith in? Um, When you're tempted to, to press the pause button, I want you to ask some questions. What is the cause of my pause? What is the cause of my pause? And here are some of those questions. Is it because Christ has put in a tape that I don't understand? It's just too hard a saying? Is it just too hard for me to do? Um, is, it, is it because I can't resolve a loving God with pain in the world? Is, is that one of the things? Is that the cause of my pause? Or is it because I use questions to hide from God so I can continue in my sin? If we were totally honest, it's that last one most of the time. I had a friend one time, he goes, man, I got questions that make the Pope change from Christianity. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure that's the best example, but, um, but you know what the bottom line was? He was disappointed with God. And he used his questions to keep doing the junk he wanted to do instead of really searching. So the pause button's going to, you're, you're going to, um, you're just going to stagnate. Second button that I don't want you to push is the eject button. Eject button. Don't bolt before a breakthrough. I bet nobody here can predict the next ten minutes of this message, can you? Drew thinks he can because he's got my my transcript back there. But how often do I follow the transcript exactly? Uh huh. They're like, dude, that's not on there. You see them sometimes. They'll be looking back. Where's he going? Uh, if you can't predict what I'm going to do in the next ten minutes, what makes you think you can predict what's going to happen in your life? If the Bible is true, if, what, what, if Jesus died on the cross and, and rose again from the dead, if that's true, what makes you think that you know the rest of your story? What makes you think that God doesn't have a different ending than what you think is going to happen? You can't know the truth until you've heard from God. You can't know the end of the story until God talks to you, so why not stick around? Is it possible that you don't know the ending of your story? Is that possible? For 2,000 years, since the time of Christ, God has been using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. But there have been more stories of people who bailed before a breakthrough. And, and look what happens in, in uh, verse 66. 
people pushed the eject button. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. 5,000 one day, <laughs> 12 the next. That's not, that's not a formula for a church growth seminar. Um, the same people who wanted Jesus to be their king now are like, no, can't do it, see you. And they ejected. They, they bolted on Christianity. The problem is every time you eject on Christianity, you turn your back and walk away from Christ, you walk towards something else. You will put something in there to worship because we were created as beings who worship. You can't get away from it. You will worship something. And, and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the things in the world that people put their faith in. And we're going to look at what you have to do in those religious belief systems in order to get to heaven or paradise or whatever they call it. And we're going to compare that to Christianity. Um, you will worship something. And um, people are just bailing right and left on Christianity. Look what happens in verse 67. Jesus knows what's going on, so he says... He turns and Jesus turns to the twelve and asks, are you going to leave too? He's looking at their faces. They're going, there goes another one. There's another one. There's another one. Jesus says, what about you guys? You going to bolt too? You going to push the eject button and head out? When, when faith gets hit in the gut, what I'm suggesting today is you use that as an alarm that tells you something significant is about to happen. Because Jesus knows that... That breakthroughs come after doubt. Every time. Now, Jesus knew the future. He could have predicted what was going to happen in all the disciples' lives. He knew. He could have said, Pete, James, John, you're going to be bestsellers. Stuff you write is going to be read thousands of years from now. Your writings will be compiled into the bestseller of all times. Wouldn't that be cool to know? So you can go through tough times and go, hey, I'm going to write a bestseller. But Jesus knew that it would require no faith. And he knew that breakthroughs come after periods of doubt. You don't know how many times I've been tempted to push the eject button as a pastor. There are times I get in my truck and drive home and, and I just say, I'm a complete failure. I cannot lead a church. I can't do this, God. And I'm ready to quit. I'll just do something else. And... Uh, and it's at those times that I think about the buttons that I need to push. And here's what I want you to do. There's three buttons that I want you to push when you go through times of doubt. The first one is fast forward. Fast forward. Consider the alternatives. Put that back up there, Drew. All right. It's always on, you know, the right side of, of your remote. There's the fast forward button. When you, when you press the fast forward, you're thinking about the outcome if I take a different road. You come to a fork in the road and think about the alternatives. Look what happens in verses 68 and 69. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? Circle those words, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. We believe them and we know you are the Holy One of God. Basically, Peter's saying this. Is there a better deal out there? And his answer is no. <laughs> um, nothing else that we want to do. So when you face doubt, I want you to play Simon Says. What does Simon Peter say? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? When I sit in my truck in my driveway and I consider the alternatives, I say, what am I going to do, God? 
You've called me to be different, and I'm pretty good at that. But you've called me to build a different kind of church that reaches people that ordinary churches wouldn't reach. And I'm not talking bad about ordinary churches. we got 120 of them here in town, and, and there are a lot of folks in these churches. But God called me to build a church that, that reached people that those churches aren't reaching. And if I go this way, and, and if I believe that the local church is the hope of the world, and I take this road, then I'm investing in something that's not the hope of the world, and I want my life to matter after I die. I want something, some type of legacy. I don't want to just breathe um, air and take up space and then be put in the ground. I want to build something that lasts. And so when I consider the alternatives, I say, you are the Christ. The hope of the world. I want to spend all of my energy on this road. If I don't want to take this road, then I better just commit again to stay on this road. So I fast forward and I consider the alternatives. Philip Yancey's written all of these books on, on doubt. And a couple of them, one's uh, Where's God When It Hurts? Great book about pain. Um, he's written another one called Disappointment with God. And he talks about, you know, is there a God? Does He care? Is he involved? Great books if you ever have doubt. Read those. Here's what Philip Yancey said. The only thing more difficult than having a relationship with an invisible God is having no such relationship. Ask, what will happen if I turn my back on God? Where will I end up? Consider the alternatives. Second button is the rewind button. The rewind button. Got it there on the left. So I'm going to fast forward, consider the alternatives, I'm going to rewind, and I'm going to remember the history. I want you to spell it like this. Capital H, capital I, capital S, and then lowercase t-o-r-y. History is his story. Think about the empty tomb. Think about the victories in the Bible. Think about the victories in your life. Psalm 77, 11 and 12, David says, I will remember your great deeds, Lord. I will recall the wonders you did in the past. I will think about all that you have done. I will meditate on all your mighty acts. Here's the key. When you don't know what else to do, remember. I want you to think about the situation, the circumstances required to even get you in the doors of this church the first time. Is that coincidence? No. You're not here by an accident. God knew what He was doing and He was working. And, and when I struggle with doubt, I start thinking of your faces. And I go, oh God. Because you want to you know the truth. We've done advertising. We've done you know, door-to-door door hangers on doorknobs. We've done all kinds of stuff. 99.9% .9 of you came because somebody invited you. And the thing that amazes me is some of you came because you were invited by people that weren't even members of our church. <laughs> and I'm like, that's wild. How God knew that you were searching for a place like this. God knew that we were building a place for you. And then you show up. That's a miracle. And I think of your faces and I say, all right, I'm ready to do it again. And sometimes I have to speak it out loud. We'll talk about that in just a second. I have to say, no, Satan, I am not a failure. In God's eyes, I'm doing what God has called me to do. That makes me victorious. Before David um, fought Goliath, do you remember what he did? He remembered all of the stuff that happened in his life. He was a shepherd. He goes out to face this giant that everyone in the Israelite army was afraid of, cowering in fear. 
Goliath comes out, boom, boom, boom. Who will fight me? And all of the Israelites run and hide. David, probably not much older than my son, comes bouncing up. I will fight Goliath. Everybody's like, go home, boy. He goes, no. And he remembers, he says, I'm a shepherd. There's one time a lion came, take my sheep, and I'm a shepherd. I killed that sucker. One time a bear came, jacking with my sheep. I killed that sucker because God gave me the power. And he looks at Goliath. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? You know, because here comes David. Doesn't have any armor on. He's got a slingshot and five rocks. Ho, ho, ho. I will kill you. And, and David looks at him and he goes, and I just imagine David, you know, he hadn't gone through puberty in my mind. And he's like, no. <laughs> I killed a bear and I killed a lion. And today I will kill you. And he says, you come at me with sword and spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord God who this day will help me defeat you. And then he, don't you know the Israelites are going, oh, gosh. Until big honking Goliath falls over. David gets the sword. And in my mind, he's not big enough to wield the sword. So <laughs> it's a saw for a while because he's not strong enough to sling that sword through. And his head falls off. And then the Israelites are like, and they come running out and they kill all the Philistines, chase them all day and kill them. Then they had courage because one little dude said, what happened in my past, God provided. And God's going to provide again. Your question may seem enormous like Goliath, but God is bigger. So you've got to remember. The last button that you need to push is the play button. Right smack in the middle. Play. And this is big, folks. This is big. Go where the faith is. Go where the faith is. Um, don't cower under the question mark. Don't become the dot under the question mark. Go hang out where people have faith. Uh, in, in this whole chapter, John chapter 6, faith is a verb, not a noun. It always is tied to action. Always you got to do something. you got to do something. In James, we're told faith without works is dead. In Hebrews, we're told that it is impossible to please God without faith. If faith is an action, you got to do something in order to show faith, in order to be pleasing to God. Um, where do you do, what do you do? How do you grow spiritually? You go where faith is. I totally admire seekers who will be honest in their questions. I love having small groups when people go, i got a question about that. I struggle with that. And we talk about those things. God has always welcomed seekers. And in fact, God was the first seeker. He, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And He has never turned away somebody who had an honest question. And neither will we at this church ever turn away somebody who has honest questions and honest doubts. And, and people who grow in their spiritual lives are like treasure hunters. And actually they are. They're seeking for spiritual treasure. They read the Bible. They go to church. They go to small group. They hang out where people um, know more about Christ than they do. And they share questions and they get answers. They are active people. And it's almost as if God planned it that way because He did. You grow stronger when you go through doubts. God knew that. And if you will be active and seek out some answers, you will wake up one day and you'll be stronger in your faith. 
because you pushed the play button and you did something about those doubts. One of the most famous doubters in the Bible is Thomas. I love Thomas because I tend to be a doubter. I got this bunk detector. People start telling me stories and it's just like, you are so wrong. And it's hard for me not to say that sometimes when I'm just like, whatever. I watch Mythbusters, man, because I love to know bunk, you know, busted. I love myth, Mythbusters, Mythbusters. No, that was that was in my past. Um, <laughs> Thomas, everybody around him was saying, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. And Thomas going, uh-uh, I don't buy that. No way. He stands up and he goes, unless I touch those nail scars in his hands, unless I stick my hand in that spear scar in his side, I will not believe. He doubted, but you know where he doubted? In the middle of believers. Do not doubt in isolation, because that will kill you. He doubted amongst believers. Isolation, that's where Satan wants you because he can, he can just mess with you. You come in the middle of believers and you doubt in community. That's why the church was built. You doubt in community. Because here's what happens. When, when Thomas was at the right place with believers, at the right time, in the middle of doubts, you know what Jesus did for him? He revealed himself to Thomas. How many of you would like Jesus to reveal himself to you? Get in the right place amongst believers at the right time. That doesn't mean occasionally. It means be active and try to seek out answers. And God just might show up because when Jesus showed up, he, he looks all over all the others and Thomas is back there and he goes, Yo, Tom. Thomas's eyes got big. He didn't have to touch. He didn't have to stick his hand in his side. He falls down. He goes, oh, my Lord and my God. And the incredible thing to me about that whole story is Jesus did not have a condescending tone with Thomas's questions. He said, Thomas, check it out, man. I got nail scars. I'm not going to show you because I got cellulite. Um, he raises up, he says, check out where the spear hit me. And Thomas falls on his face and he says, oh, my Lord and my God. Maybe the reason you're struggling with doubt is because you've not been at the right place with Christians at the right time during doubts. So God's not going to reveal himself to you. I can predict how much you're going to grow in Christ in the next month or six months or a year if I just know how much time you spend with Christians. If you, if you just come occasionally, you're not going to grow. Because what's going to be shaping you is the world. The reason we make, you know, we go to, to, to small groups is because we want, to, we want to discuss stuff and we want to... Does a short does a sword does a sword sharpen itself? Does a sword sword sharpen? Bad gum. I'm jacked up now. Does a, a sword sharpen itself? No. Neither do Christians grow spiritually in isolation. You need other believers. The Bible actually says that. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. Get at the right place at the right time, and then Jesus will reveal Himself to you.
Take your registration cards if you would.